Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Back on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and your smart speakers. A reminder that Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. My name is Field Yates, joined by Courtney Cronin here on the final show of 2021. And Courtney, you cover the Minnesota Vikings for your day job, which means you're very familiar with the entire NFC Conference and also the NFC North, where the Green Bay Packers have already won the division and they have a chance to clinch the 2020, excuse me, the number one seed in the NFC playoffs for the 2021 season. As we examine the NFC, if the Packers are number one right now by record, do you believe they're also number one right now by ability or resume? Or is there another team that you think has the goods to go to Green Bay and challenge them and potentially win? There's two. But, I mean, I think the Packers are playing really good ball in this five-game stretch since the last loss they had, which conveniently came to the Minnesota Vikings, the team that they're facing here in Week 17. Um, Rodgers has thrown 16 16 touchdowns and no interceptions over 1,600 yards in this stretch. There's something about playing your best ball in December and when your defense is healthy and what they could potentially do in going on this run in January. Now, there are two teams, like I said, that I think could come into Lambeau and potentially beat them. One of them is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that did that very thing last year in the NFC Championship game during a season where Aaron Rodgers was, yes, the MVP of the league. This year you have Tom Brady, who's vying for his fourth MVP title, just like A-Rodg is doing too. So you have a very, very good Tom Brady, an injured Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense, but they get a lot of pieces back the next time that those two teams could potentially be facing off. Maybe it is in the NFC Championship because we do, at least for now, assume that the road is probably going to end up going through Lambeau. The other team that I'm okay hedging my bets on would be the Dallas Cowboys, considering how balanced they are. They figured out what they needed to do to kick this slump offensively. I know Dak Prescott said that's our word. That was not his word, but that's what they were in. They, he, he was struggling in the connection that he had with his pass catchers. They couldn't get things going. What we saw in that game against Washington that gives me the belief that they can go into Lambeau Field and win is not just what they do defensively. That They, they are predicated off turnovers. They're really good. They've got a good special teams unit. Dak's finally starting to use his legs again to extend drives and make plays, and I think that that's a really important asset for this offense. You know, the the Packers have had a number of offensive line injuries this season. Their center, Josh Meyer, spent time on IR. David Bakhtiari is still not returned from an ACL tear suffered last December as he had some follow-up surgery as well. Elton Jenkins, an excellent player for them, tore his ACL. He was filling in for David Bakhtiari, and part of the reason why they've been able to sustain things is that Aaron Rodgers is just so good navigating the pocket but it feels like the Packers and the Cowboys might be one of the more intriguing offensive line versus pass rush matchups that we have in the NFL so all of a sudden the Cowboys defense has a bunch of guys that are just flying around up front you stack Demarcus Lawrence with Randy Gregory and of course Micah Parsons together that might be the best pass rush trio in the NFL, which could cause some fits for Green Bay. It'll certainly cause fits for other offensive lines. That's one wrinkle that I think is sort of interesting. We mentioned this earlier, but there was one team that you didn't bring up as a team that you thought could go to Green Bay and win. 
And this is a team that failed to win when they went to Green Bay earlier on this season. It's the Los Angeles Rams. 36-28 they lost when they played previously. How much confidence do you have in Los Angeles as a team in general? Not just to go to Green Bay, but just in general. How confident are you in them after having seen them up close and personal just last week? You know, and it wasn't just the the game that they won in spite of Matthew Stafford that kind of gives me some pause about this Rams team. I I worry that they are this shiny object that when you like peer closely at it, it looks like it's you know beautiful sterling silver, and then it's actually tinfoil. And I know that seems kind of harsh considering how good they are defensively, and I saw that pass rush. I, I picked them to win this week against the Baltimore Ravens because I don't think whether – it's Lamar Jackson or whether it's Tyler Huntley that you have a chance of stopping Aaron Donald, but the guy's a monster. Congrats on your second defensive player, second straight defensive player of the year award or second in the last two, three years, whatever it is. Um, But offensively, I think that there have been some holes poked into this offense and just really how they stack up on paper. That to me is what's worrisome, where you trade the farm, you give all of your draft capital away for the next couple of years because you felt you were a quarterback away in getting Matthew Stafford, bringing him here. He's a transcendent talent in the eyes of Sean McVay. He could do more for you in this offense than Jared Goff could. And so far this season, we haven't seen that become the consistent thing they can hang their hat on field the way that maybe we thought they would. I go back to that Titans game and the you know the pick sixes that dug them in such a deep hole that not even Matthew Stafford, who's supposed to be the guy who can put the team on his proverbial back, um, he couldn't overcome that. Same thing happened against the San Francisco 49ers. When you're turning the ball over and teams are scoring off of that, like that's a serious problem. And, of course, the Minnesota Vikings couldn't score off those turnovers. He threw three interceptions in Week 16, and they were only able to score, you know, I think it was uh, t- t- 10 points off turnovers last week. And, like, the, their offense as a whole is the fifth highest turnover rate in the NFL. So not a good look. But I, um, I just don't have a whole ton of faith in them. I just tend to think that we built them up to be something that they haven't been able to achieve. We set the bar probably a little too high with this Rams team this year, and they've kind of looked fraudulent in moments. I think part of the reason why people have a tough time sort of fully embracing the Rams, Courtney, is the fact that they went all in. Their own Twitter account put it out on Twitter, hey, we're Mm -hmm. all in. Beyond that, like some of the moves that they made felt like they were like – they felt like they were all swing for the fences type arrangements, right? And for those that sort of appreciate team building, it was like the Rams found ways to acquire guys that have been there and done that, and you kind of knew they were stars, rather than sort of like developing and creating stars elsewhere, as we have seen with maybe a team like Green Bay, who obviously has Aaron Rodgers, but like so many of their success stories mm-hmm. are homegrown guys who weren't slam dunks in the first round. But I think the other thing with the Rams is that they went through a stretch where they lost three out of four games. And because they have embraced this all-in moniker, it feels like people kind of love to see them fall short. And the Rams have been better of late, but those three out of four games that they lost, think about the teams that they lost to. Actually, it was three straight games. The Titans, a playoff team. The 49ers, a presumptive playoff team. And the Packers, a playoff team. So you've got three straight losses to teams that are going to be potential roadblocks for them in the postseason. And I think the fact that Matthew Stafford, just because, as you noted, like he's never had a critical 
sort of signature playoff moment that we can all hang our hat on is like mm-hmm. we totally and implicitly trust him until he proves that he can. I think there's going to be a little bit of element of doubt for the Los Angeles Rams and whether or not they are a team that is good enough to go on the road to Green Bay or elsewhere and win this game. Um, so I think there are uh, some really interesting tentacles in the NFC playoff picture. You mentioned San Francisco as well, Courtney, as a yes. team that sort of is like they may know, upset. a sleeping giant. Yeah. But yeah, but they're a team that just they feel like they have some of the ingredients to make life really tough on a team, even if they are an underdog in terms of the Vegas line. Yeah, and we know that Jimmy Garoppolo is dealing with the thumb right now. So I think the smart money to be, if you just read between the comments that he uh, you know, from what he said this week, that he might need a little bit more time. It would probably be wise to see against the Houston Texans Trey Lance start and get Jimmy Garoppolo healthy for the postseason because you can win with Jimmy Garoppolo. You've got to put him in the right situation. But the key to that, I think, is he's got to reestablish his connection with George Kittle. Like, where has that been the last couple weeks? You've got to spread the ball around a little bit more. They've got a formidable pass rush. We know that. So defensively, I think they'll be okay. But I worry about, like, offensively, if they, they can run the ball, sure. But Garoppolo just hasn't looked – he's kind of been off when it comes to the guys that he's throwing the ball to. And that Kittle connection is so crucial. Like, to me, that's, like, what would carry them in the postseason. It's hard to cover him. A lot of teams have failed at doing that. But in recent, you know, recent games, it's been – he's kind of been a, not, a non-factor. So I, I think that if they are able to – get into the postseason, which we think they will be. I don't think anybody else is going to be able to contend for where they're at at the sixth seed. They make noise if they can reestablish that and get a little bit of a pop in their offense. Let's take a call from the Dr. Pepper call-in line, which ties to exactly what you are talking about right now, Courtney, which is the 49ers and their current quarterback situation. Les in Maryland has some thoughts on Jimmy G's future and also Trey Lance. What do you got, Les? Well, I'm I'm kind of done with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo for right now. Okay. I like what she said, bring him into the postseason. His decision-making has been a critical issue with me watching the ball go into the end zone for interception. I would have took the sack or I would have threw it out of bounds. I wouldn't have threw it in coverage like that. That's what got me, like, fired up. <laughs> hey, Les. How y'all I... doing? Happy holidays. Hey, hey Les. Thank happy you, holidays. You happy New Year to you and yours and – I love the passion for it. And I hear you. Jimmy G is polarizing, Courtney, right? Mm-hmm. Because you mentioned the 49ers can win with Jimmy Garoppolo. And if you just go look at their win-loss record when Jimmy Garoppolo has started for them, they've been really, really good. They have won a whole bunch more games than they have lost. They played in the Super Bowl. They had a 10-point lead in the second half of the Super Bowl, which they squandered with Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll all remember that throw, what could have been. Maybe we're not talking about him right now in this vein. Instead, we're talking about Jimmy G with a long-term contract for the San Francisco 49ers. But it seems like there's sort of two separate schools of thought. Is that good enough to win and perhaps underrated or a guy that is holding them back? I think one thing that's really interesting, though, is they use the third overall pick on Trey Lance, a player from North Dakota State who had started just one game the prior season because, of course, the pandemic-shortened season for North Dakota State. He was viewed by most draft evaluators as the quarterback that needed the most time to develop, Courtney. And I think we all just sort of assumed, like, hey, one year of Trey Lance development, and he'll be ready to take the reins. Yeah. But if you're San Francisco, and let's imagine a world where they go 10-7, and seven, make the playoffs, perhaps win a game, 
Do you? Th- they're not going to have the gift of waiting until the end of training camp to decide whether or not Trey Lance is ready to take over the reins as their quarterback. Like, could there be a world, in your opinion, where Jimmy Garoppolo actually re-signs with San Francisco because if they think he's their best option to help them win in 2022, don't they kind of owe it to their roster to at least think about it? Well, if you're John Lynch and his Twitter account, I don't think so. I don't know if anybody had to throw that out there. I don't know if anybody saw the tweet on Christmas Eve. Tell me more. Um, I did, but tell everybody else. So he accidentally, so he says, he accidentally liked a tweet while he was in church or, you know, doing something on Christmas Eve where the tweet said, leave Jimmy in Nashville from an account 4040T9er um, spelled out. <laughs> I don't know how you – he unliked the tweet, but screenshots live forever, as we right. know. Um, so I don't know if they're like – if they've already kind of made their mind up. Is Maybe this is a Freudian tweet-like. Who knows? But there is an option for them to continue on with Garoppolo. But I think when you look at the veteran quarterback market – and look at the draft this year, Jimmy's going to have some suitors. Like, he's probably one of the best options available via trade um, for many teams that need somebody. I mean, think about all of the Pittsburgh Steelers talk that we've had this morning. And I'm not, we haven't thrown his name really in the mix as somebody who would potentially take over in Pittsburgh for Ben Roethlisberger, assuming he does retire, which we think he will. Um, You've got it. Like I think that you have to weigh quarterback options around the NFL based on where everything else stands. And he's a good quarterback. Like his demand is going to be pretty high this year. So I have a hard time believing that the 49ers wouldn't want to capitalize on that while the demand is really high. We had this discussion yesterday, and I know I'm kind of like sabotaging this in, in you know driving the Aaron Rodgers thing back right into it, but. How would they do that? Like when you talk about training camp and like they don't have time to wait necessarily to figure out if Trey Lance is your guy, what happens if Aaron Rodgers really wants to come to San Francisco? If he says, I'm done in Green Bay, and obviously that means you'd move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, but like what happens to Trey Lance in that situation? That's the thing that like, oh man, like my head's like spinning just thinking about that. Do you, is he one that you just kind of throw out all the plans? Like, hey, if Aaron Rodgers wants to come here, sorry, Trey, like we love you. You're part of our plans eventually, but we're going to go with Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's to me is, like, that's the big what if. Because, remember, they made a call about it. Green Bay denied it. But, like, San Francisco made a call about it right before the draft. I mean, you have to. So I just wondered, like, how would that change their plans? Because it feels inevitable that they will move on from Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason and turn the keys of the offense, give them to Trey Lance. But would that potentially throw a wrench in the plans and alter course? Yeah, Jimmy G is currently owed $24.2 million in a base salary for next year. He's got one year left on his contract. So you figure one way or another, Courtney, he's probably getting a new deal this offseason because if they keep him in San Francisco, he's going to be motivated to want an extension. If they trade him, a new team is probably going to want to extend him beyond the 2022 season. Let's take a couple of more calls here. Tristan in New Jersey, what do you think about the 49ers quarterback situation? Hey. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, huge 49er fan. And from what I hear from, I mean, I guess from all the fans' perspective, is that we're all in on Trey Lance. I mean, a lot of the, the 49er fans that I'm in tune with, I mean, you go on social media, you see a lot of people are all in on, on Lance. But let me ask you guys, I mean, if you think that we were to try out Trey Lance for these final two games and he looks like a bust, do you think uh, Shanahan is going to be on any type of hot seat or anything like that or what? 
That's a great question. Yeah, thanks for the call, Tristan, and Happy New Year to you. And what I'd say is, like, it's an interesting thought because I don't think Kyle Shanahan is on the hot seat. And part of the reason why, and this is kind of like a little bit of a lame excuse, but if Kyle Shanahan became available to be hired, I think he'd be hired in a minute elsewhere, right? So, like, firing him, I think, feels like a bit of a fruitless exercise by the 49ers. But if I think the next two weeks are super important because – like, I have high hopes for Trey Lance, but what if he doesn't show enough in these next two games? Like, I, I, he was a huge projection coming out of college, and as the Packers have shown us, like, if you need to wait two years on a guy, that's okay. And, like, that full year of studying behind Aaron Rodgers certainly wasn't enough to propel Jordan Love to be immediately ready in that game he started against the Chiefs this year, Courtney. Like... Maybe they do need to think about what life looks like with Jimmy G for one more season if do, Trey Lance isn't ready. Do we give him a little bit of a pass, though? I mean, he's been in and out of the lineup this season. He started one other game against Arizona. He hasn't played since week 11 against San Francisco, and he didn't even throw a pass. He you know, had three rushing attempts, like, and that was in garbage time. Like, If he comes out and is rusty and struggles, and yes, perfect opportunity here because it is against the Houston Texans. Yes, I know Houston just beat the Chargers, but I think the Chargers are fraudulent, so... Um, anyways, like I, I just, I have a hard time believing that like, that's going to sway what ownership thinks, what the perception around Kyle Shanahan is, is this quarterback whisper and somebody who developed Trey Lance and, you know, had him ready to go. I mean, like he's kind of not, we, we knew that this would probably happen where he's not playing a super consistent role in this offense. So I don't know how you can like judge in the whole body of work when it kind of deserves an incomplete grade this season. So, I mean, but hey, if he if he comes out and balls out, then you know your answer for next year, right? And you yeah. potentially know your answer going into the playoffs. If, if, if Trey Lance has to play because of the thumb injury to Jimmy Garoppolo and if he's not ready for Sunday and he does well against Houston – Who's to say that they don't look at him and say, against that pass rush that you're going to have to face against the Rams' final game of the season, maybe his athletic abilities, maybe what he can show would actually give you a better chance against the Rams. We might have to let Alex, who's on the Dr. Pepper call-in line, host the rest of this show for the patience that Alex has shown who wants to talk about the Vikings job opening. What do you got in the Vikings job opening, Alex? Well, first of all, let me start off by saying I'm a longtime Vikings fan that's surviving the NFC Championship loss in 98, uh, Bounty Gate in 2010, uh, Blair Walsh 2016, Minnesota Miracle 2018, and the questionable 2018 of making Kirk Cousins the first ever guaranteed contract in history. But I agree with Courtney that the Minnesota Vikings is potentially the best opening job available in the NFL, possibly because of the weapons that they have with the uh, Jefferson and uh, Cooks, you take a look at the um, organizational structure that the Vikings hold, um, and then also the potential that um, Green Bay of uh, Aaron Rodgers leaving to go to another division or conference, um, the Bears' front office issues and the Lions just being the Lions, the Vikings have a perfect opportunity to snatch up, uh, let's say, one of the coordinators out of Tampa Bay or potentially Eric Bieniemy. And uh, thank again for taking my call. Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year, and thanks Happy for the New patience, Year. Alex. Courtney, I'll let you take this one because this is your specialty. Yeah, sorry for your suffering, Alex. I mean, I, I get that. I hear that a lot from, from Vikings fans. Um, but the point that he made that we haven't brought up yet that I think is a really, really strong one about taking this head coaching opening and being set up for the next couple of years. If Rodgers is truly unhappy and leaves Green Bay – 
Or even if he doesn't, he's 38 years old. How many more years is he going to play? Like, if he signs a contract in Green Bay, it's his last one. So you'd know that you'd probably only have a couple more years of having to face him twice a year. We know that the Bears have Justin Fields, but they haven't been able to get it right with the coaching staff, with the front office. They've got two draft picks in the top four. Like, they're not going to become a good team overnight. Like that's, that's still a very long rebuilding process, and... I mean, the Lions did beat the Vikings this year. Uh, you know, say what you want about that, but I still think that there's, you know, there's room in between Minnesota and Detroit, by and large. And that, though, what he brought up makes a really good, compelling argument for anybody who would want to take that job, considering everybody else around you in the division. It's not just your team you're concerned about. It's the teams that you have to play twice a year, so six other games, that if you could know You'd be the top team in your division based on the quarterback strength of the Bears, the Packers, and the Lions in years to come. I think you take it. I think that that's – if I'm writing out my pro-con list, if I'm doing my Venn diagram as a head coaching candidate, that definitely goes into the pro list. Really interesting couple of weeks ahead for the Minnesota Vikings as a franchise and, of course, the entire NFL in Week 17. We'll move to college football next as a two-time national champion. will tell us why Michigan-Georgia – is literally a heavyweight fight. That's next here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unsportsmanlike today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash unsportsmanlike. Keyshawn J. Will and Max back here on ESPN Radio. It's Field Yates and Courtney Cronin filling in for the guys in the final show of 2021. And Courtney, we have the Goodyear Cotton, uh, Cotton Bowl today. That game is being played down in Dallas. Just kidding. No, it's not. You're looking at me like it's not being played there. Is being played there. They're playing the game down in Dallas. Looking forward to that game very much. And Courtney, let me ask you about what this game would mean. Alabama hosting, or I shouldn't say hosting, but they are the favorites. I suppose are the home team because of the number one seed over the against the Cincinnati Bearcats. What do you think a win for Cincinnati would mean for the sport of college football today? I think it's huge. 
because you look at like what happened last year when Alabama faced Notre Dame in the semifinal and then faced Ohio State like they blew both of those teams out those weren't those were not those games were not close so I think it would level the playing field a little bit it's a down year for the SEC it's the best chance that a Cincinnati team would have to get a win like I mean against a team that typically has no weaknesses yet we somehow are poking holes in this Alabama team this year. Yeah, that's some well, somehow Alabama just finds a way to continue to restock and reload. Time now for us to join or to have Tim Tebow join us on the Goodyear Hotline and Tim, great to have you joining us here this morning. We know you are down in Dallas for the much anticipated Alabama and Cincinnati matchup. Tim, a man who needs no introduction, he was only a two-time national champion, a Heisman Trophy winner, one of the greatest players in college football history and now an analyst here at ESPN. Tim, it's a much-anticipated matchup today between Cincinnati and Alabama. What is the formula for Cincinnati to pull off what many would consider to be one of the big upsets in college football playoff history? Well, thanks for for having me on and letting me join you this morning, and Happy New Year to you guys. I would say that I think the formula is to confuse Bryce Young to start with. I think Bryce Young has to do a really good job of identifying and adjusting to all the different pressures that Luke Fickle is going to throw at him. I think they're going to run a 3-3-5, a 3-2-6, four down front. I think they're going to play a little bit of man just to sprinkle it in so they can get some, some jam pressure. And then I think they're going to back off and play a lot of different zones. And so I think, um, you know, Cincinnati's hope is that they can – with some of these zones and zone pressures, get in the way, get a tip ball, maybe get an interception, change the momentum that way. And so I think that's where Bryce Young really has to do a good job of identifying, adjusting, being patient. When you've got man-to-man, you give your guys a shot or you got plays down the field, um, but just not force it because that is Cincinnati's MO. That's where they've put, pulled away against so many of these teams in close games. And I think on the opposite side, I think the X factor has to be, if Cincinnati wants to win, it has to be, Desmond Ritter. He's very talented. He's a, he's faster than people give him credit for. He throws a better down the field ball than I think people give him credit for, but he's got to be extremely consistent. And he's got to be really good on third down and in the red zone because you look at the teams that have um, been able to beat Alabama through the last 13 years. And it, every time it has been from a quarterback that has played elite, not necessarily an elite quarterback, but in that moment, a quarterback has played elite. You look at this year, Zach Calzada, Texas A&M, he was playing terrible leading into that game. And he played out of his mind, especially in the second half of that game, um, to give A&M a chance. And I think that Desmond has had an incredible career, um, um, something like 45 wins, but if he's able to be the X factor in this game, um, I just think it, that a win from Cincinnati really does change college football, and it would be, you know, fascinating to see. But I also think they're playing the best team in the country, so it's going to be a good one. Last year's Alabama offense had Devontae Smith, it had Mac Jones, you know, another Heisman winner from last year. This year, it has Bryce Young, and we poke holes though in this offense. Maybe it's not as explosive as in years past. How would you stack up? this year's Alabama offense and how good is this year's Alabama offense compared to last year's that made it to the national well I think what's I think what's funny is for the last 13 years we've been trying to poke holes in in different things in Alabama their offense defense special teams oh they don't have a kicker and I think you know when someone's so dominant for so long you always try to you know poke holes or to say this is where they might be vulnerable and um, you know I don't think that they've been as efficient or as good as last year's offense but, man, I tell you, at certain times, they have been really dynamic. And the way that they played against Georgia in the SEC championship, I think you could put that performance 
up with any of last year's performances from their offense, including the national championship against Ohio State. It was against the best defense a lot of people have seen in several years. I mean, that was a pretty unbelievable performance. A great coaching job, an incredible job by Bryce Young, but then also their receivers were so dynamic. But one of them, John Mechie, he's not going to be here. That really does change a lot. That gives Cincinnati so much more of a chance in this game when you're not having your you, – really your, your sort of 1B receiver. I mean, I can't call John Mechie a number two receiver. I'll call him 1B behind Jamison Williams. And so I think that does change things in this game a little bit. But this offense is so explosive that you might hold them down like Auburn did for the majority of the game when John Mechie – or when Jamison Williams gets kicked out for targeting – but, man, in 50 seconds, they can go 99 yards. Like, you know, ask Auburn about that. And so I think, you know, that Cincinnati, it, it, you know, if they're being competitive in this game, that they, they, you know, you can't miss one play because one play in that game can be changed from Alabama. And I think that's where this team is, is maybe even a, as good or better than a lot of their really good offenses is just their ability to score instantly. Uh, Tim, Bryce Young joined you in college football's most exclusive fraternity earlier this month when he was named the Heisman Trophy winner. But this is a player who was inexperienced coming into this season. As you've watched him from September to now, what areas of Bryce Young's game do you think you've seen the most development that have allowed him to become one of the best players in college football? Well, I think what's amazed me, even um, before he got the chance to start and watching him last year and getting to know him a little bit, it's his poise, his maturity, his composure. Uh, I know people just kind of mention that, but it's it's staggering. I really do think he gets a lot of it from his dad, who is a, a mental coach, and you just listen to their conversations, and I have a chance to be around him and just talk to him and I mean, it, it really, he doesn't get flustered. He does, he's not super emotional, high and low, shoot, like I was. You know, he's just very, he's very calm. He's very, um, you know, when they're down seven with a minute to go against Auburn at Auburn, you know, he's looking to his receivers and he's smiling, you know. And it's just, it's an it's a innate um, confidence and swagger and ability to just handle pressure, I think, better than most people that I've seen. Um, but where I've seen him take the next step as a player this year is is reading defenses and it's being patient in the pocket. And one of the best things I think he does now is when they when a defense only rushes three and maybe you have a spy on him, he's patient in the pocket and he doesn't force it. He doesn't, you know, he's really good at, for a lot of quarterbacks, when, when you take a three or five step drop, well, I got to throw on rhythm or if it doesn't, then they start to panic. He's totally good not being in rhythm. He's totally good being patient. You see him against Georgia where he's just sitting there in the pocket and no one's close and he's pointing his receivers and they're, they're cutting and moving and he's throwing touchdowns against them. And so he's really good being off schedule. And I think he's gotten more and more comfortable at doing that. And I think that's something that makes him very, very unique because not a lot of quarterbacks, even really good quarterbacks, um, you know, ha- have the ability to do it at that level. Tim, you're in Dallas for the Goodyear Cotton Bowl, and we're going to get to that game. But you had a great comparison uh, for Michigan-Georgia being a heavyweight fight. What two fighters would you compare these teams to? Well, I, I kind of look at them as like Mike Tyson against Joe Frazier. You know, we, we got to see Joe Frazier against Muhammad Ali, and they're very different styles. And I think that's kind of Alabama against Georgia. But now we get two similar styles. And Joe Frazier and Mike Tyson, like two guys that are just going to go forehead to forehead and throw uppercuts until one of them goes to sleep. 
And I just love that. Like, I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I can't wait to watch this game because, you know, I'm going to honestly enjoy the offense versus defensive line. I think it is going to be one of the most physical games we have seen in years. Like, I, I was around a lot of the Michigan guys, um, you know, a few weeks ago, and they really believe that they're a team of destiny. And they, they, they are almost salivating at the chance to match the physical presence of Georgia. And I think Georgia has a chip on their shoulder from getting embarrassed against Alabama. I think you have two motivated teams that play such similar, that, that take pride in winning the physical matchup. Like, this is going to be old school, like, you know, football where it is going to be, you know, buckle up your chin strap. And I just hope the refs don't start calling targeting at the beginning of the game. Let's let the kids play. And it is going to be, um, I think maybe a, a good phrase is, you know, we used to say slobber knocker. That's what this is going to be. And I can't wait for it. Yeah, we certainly can't wait for it as well. Tim Tebow, our outstanding college football analyst, of course, a two-time All-American, a Heisman Trophy winner, a national champion at Florida. We appreciate you making this time, making time for us today, Tim, and enjoy the game today. And Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, you guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Great stuff from Tim Tebow. Always, you can watch him all day, all over ESPN Networks. We cannot wait for the two college football playoff semifinals. Hey, coming up, the clock has finally struck midnight for Big Ben. There's much more from Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. It's next on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It is the final segment of 2021. Keyshawn J. Will Max is presented by Progressive Insurance. My name is Field Yates, joined by Courtney Cronin. Does a great job covering the Vikings and all things football here at ESPN and ESPN Radio. So, um, Courtney, a lot to get through so far from the show today. I want to start with a note that is simultaneously, obviously, heartbreaking, but also a little bit uplifting. Um, And I'll let you certainly share a lot of perspective and insight here. But uh, our ESPN family was hurt earlier this week when we lost the great Jeff Dickerson, who covered the Bears for us at the ESPN NFL Nation team. He's been a fixture in Chicago sports for two decades uh, he lost his battle to colon cancer at the age of 44. Unfortunately, he and his son Parker had also lost J.D.'s wife, Caitlin, to a battle just nearly three years prior to that with lymphoma. Just awful, awful circumstances. Um, hopefully one of the things that we can try to focus in on in life going forward is turning things that are terrible and heartbreaking and negatives into positives. And uh, there was a GoFundMe set up. For Parker, his 11-year-old son, and the initial goal for this GoFundMe was $100,000. Of 
Courtney, at last check, nearly $954,000 have been raised. Much of the fundraising has been amplified through social media and specifically Twitter. It can't take away the sadness and the pain of earlier this week, but at least gives us some hope that Parker can live the life that he deserves going forward. Absolutely. I mean, the kid has been through more than most people will go through in a lifetime. And I got to see Parker and JD up close during the last week of his life. I was at JD's house right before the Bears Vikings game. I came into town and I knew that things were pretty um, trending, trending pretty quickly just in terms of JD's decline in the final week of his life. So I went up to Vernon Hills and I got a chance. Parker was coming back from school that day, like super sports kid is involved in everything. Did youth tackle football this year? Big baseball player like he and JD. I mean, there'd be so many times I'd be doing shows with JD on ESPN radio and I'd hear him be like, come on, Parker, like just be watching the live stream or he'd be like, yes, and like celebrating all of Parker's games because he is in a, um, a, a travel baseball league that is very competitive. He's on the road all the time. He's 11 years old. He's playing up like he's a really talented athlete. He plays basketball as well. And, and getting a chance to watch those two interact with each other, even during the final days of JD's life, was, was so special and something that I'm probably going to always carry with me when I think back on memories of JD. He loved his son. He was the best dad imaginable and had to guide Parker through the last two and a half years of his life after losing his mom. And and that's the thing that breaks my heart for someone like Parker Dickerson. Um, All he knows is cancer. All he knows is that cancer claimed the life of both of his parents. And it's so unfair at that age having to process all of this as you're still learning who you are. And learning how to be a person. He's 11 years old. So the Parker Dickerson Fund, it started out on Tuesday night. I I know his Aunt Jen put something on GoFundMe. And you said the goal initially was $100,000. Seeing the outpouring of support this week where you have not only friends, family, colleagues, all of that donating. You have owners of NFL teams, general managers, um, you know, teams across the Chicagoland area. I mean, J.D. wasn't just a Bears reporter. He'd been tapped into this market in Chicago for 20 years. He covered the Bulls. He was a huge part of ESPN 1000 in Chicago from the radio side and the digital side. It's You can't bring J.D. back, and that's it's an insurmountable loss that we suffered here. Everybody suffered from the ESPN family to – the sports journalism family as a whole to everybody that knew him and everybody whose lives were affected by JD. But this does kind of shine like some light through the darkness to know that there's a lot of good out there. And there are a lot of people that want to see Parker Dickerson have the best possible life imaginable now that he has to navigate it without his mom and dad. Uh, at last check, nearly 13,000 separate donations had been made for Parker Uh, It's just unbelievable to see how many people have come out in droves. Thank yous could go on really until probably early next year. But there are some that deserve uh, some special mentions. Avia Shirts, which is a T-shirt company uh, in Chicago, has made shirts honoring Jeff Dickerson. 100% of the proceeds go to the Parker Fund. They've already made two separate donations 
totaling north of $42,000 for Parker Dickerson. So, so great to see. And you mentioned some of those NFL teams getting involved. Huge shout-outs to them. And our colleague, Adam Schefter, who has the largest social media reach of anybody at our company, has done an incredible job of promoting that message continuously. He's been a strong advocate for making sure that we reached not just the goal of 100000 but a new goal that Shefty has for the next, uh, let's see if I do my math right, 14-plus hours to reach $1 million for Parker Dickerson to hope to hopefully ensure that he has a life that he deserves going forward. Uh, it's going to be an incredibly painful one for quite some time. But we love J.D. We miss him dearly already. We know his legacy will continue on, and certainly through his son, Parker, who has an incredibly bright future despite some really difficult circumstances that have been passed down to him or that he has had to face at this early juncture of his career. Uh, Courtney, we've got just a few minutes left in our show, and we'll finish where we started, which is Ben Roethlisberger basically announced yesterday that he is going to retire after this season. As he said, all signs point towards Monday night being his final home game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. His legacy in Pittsburgh is certainly going to be one as one of the greatest football players to ever put on a jersey for that storied franchise. Yeah, it's it's time. It's time. It's been time. I think people realize that. And I always, you know, Ben Roethlisberger hedging his comments. Like, he's, he hasn't come out and said, yeah, I'm done after this year. He's said, yeah, it's possible and probably the last game at home. Hey, they could be in the postseason. You never know. It's time. And he's had an incredible career as a Pittsburgh Steeler the entirety of his career, 18 seasons spent in Pittsburgh. And I know that the end of his career featured a lot of injuries, It featured not the same Ben Roethlisberger that we saw in previous years and the one certainly that won two Super Bowls. But he did a lot of good for this franchise. And I think that's why, to a degree, it's okay to pump the brakes on the Aaron Rodgers talk and on who might replace him in in Pittsburgh for the next couple weeks as we let him kind of ride this thing out and get honored for what he did for this franchise on the field. I mean, he's he'll go down as one is one of if not the best stealer of all time. Um and certainly on his way to a gold jacket in the near future. Worth noting that the Pittsburgh Steelers are not done yet. They still can win the AFC North. As a matter Wild. of fact, Courtney, all four teams in the AFC North still have a shot to win that division. No path is more direct than the Cincinnati Bengals, who if they win on Sunday against the Chiefs, they take home the AFC North. Quickly, do you give them any chance against Kansas City? No, I don't. Okay, you don't give them a chance against Kansas City on Sunday. Do you think Cincinnati can pull off the upset against Alabama today? Yes. Okay. I will go ahead and say it. Uh, David slays Goliath, right? David slays Goliath. There you have it. Yeah, get uh, get used to a bunch of that, especially (laughs) on New Year's Eve. Everyone to be safe tonight. We look forward to what is ahead in 2022. Thanks for hanging out with us on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. For Courtney Cronin, I am Field Yates. We'll talk to you guys next year here on ESPN. Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about Electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. 
Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S dot com.